sending email would be pointless. The last thing they needed to do was have their captors see a bunch of email addressed to every possible variant of Peter Wiggins' name at every single mail net that they could think of. And sure enough, by that evening, a lie was telling them some tall tale about a genie in a bottle that had washed up on the shore. Everyone listened with feigned interest, but they knew the real story had been stated right at the beginning when a lie said, The fisherman thought maybe the bottle had a message from some castaway, but when he popped the cork, a cloud of smoke came out, and... and they got it. What they had to do was send a message in a bottle, a message that would go indiscriminately to everyone everywhere, but which could only be understood by Ender's brother, Peter. But as she thought about it, Petra realized that with all these other brilliant brains working to reach Peter Wiggin, she might as well work on an alternative plan. Peter Wiggin was not the only one outside who might help them. There was Bean. And while Bean was almost certainly in hiding, so that he would have far less freedom of action than Peter Wiggin, that didn't mean they couldn't still find him. She thought about it for a week in every spare moment, rejecting idea after idea. Then she thought of one that might get past the censors. She worked out the text of her message very carefully in her head, making sure that it was phrased and worded exactly right. Then, with that memorized, she figured the binary code of each letter in standard two-byte format and memorized that. Then she started the really hard stuff, all done in her head, so nothing was ever committed to paper or typed into the computer, where a keystroke monitor could report to their captors whatever she wrote. In the meantime, she found a complex black-and-white drawing of a dragon on a net site somewhere in Japan and saved it as a small file. When she finally had the message fully encoded in her mind, it took only a few minutes of fiddling with the drawing, and she was done. She added it as part of her signature on every letter she sent. She spent so little time on it that she did not think it would look to her captors like anything more than a harmless whim. If they asked, she could say she added the picture in memory of Ender's dragon army in battle school. Of course, it wasn't just a picture of a dragon anymore. Now there was a little poem under it. Share this dragon... If you do, lucky end for them and you. She would tell them if they asked that the words were just an ironic joke. If they didn't believe her, they would strip off the picture and she'd have to find another way. She sent it on every letter from then on, including to the other kids. She got it back from them on messages after that, so they had picked up on what she was doing and were helping whether their captors were actually letting it leave the building or not, she had no way of knowing, at first. Finally, though, she started getting it back on messages from outside. A single glance told her that she had succeeded. Her coded message was still embedded in the picture. It hadn't been stripped out. Now it was just a question of whether Bean would see it and look at it closely enough to realize that there was a mystery to solve.
Chapter 4. Custody. 2. Graph Key Pilgrimage at Colmin.gov. From Chamraj Nagar Key Jawaharlal at ifcom.gov. Re. Quandary. You know better than anyone how vital it is to maintain the independence of the fleet from the machinations of politicians. That was my reason for rejecting Locke's suggestion, but in the event I was wrong. Nothing jeopardizes fleet independence more than the prospect of one nation becoming dominant, especially if, as seems likely, the particular nation is one that has already shown a disposition to take over the IF and use it for nationalist purposes. I'm afraid I was rather harsh with Locke. I dare not write him directly, because while Locke would be reliable, one can never know what Demosthenes would do with an official letter of apology from the Polemarch. Therefore, please arrange for him to be notified that my threat is rescinded, and I wish him well. I do learn from my mistakes. Since one of Wigan's companions remains outside the control of the aggressor, prudence dictates that young Delphiki be protected. Since you are Earthside, and I am not, I give you brevet command over an IFM contingent and any other resources you need, orders forthcoming through level six back channels, of course. I give you specific instructions not to tell me or anyone else of the steps you have taken to protect Delphiki or his family. There is to be no record in the IF system or that of any government. By the way, trust no one in the hegemony. I always knew they were a nest of careerists, but recent experience shows that the careerist is now being replaced by worse, the ideologue rampant. Act swiftly. It appears that we are either on the verge of a new war, or the League War never quite ended after all. How many days can you stay closed in, surrounded by guards, before you start to feel like a prisoner? Mean never felt claustrophobic in battle school. Not even on Eros, where the low ceilings of the buggers' tunnels teetered over them like a car slipping off its jack. Not like this, closed up with his family pacing the four-room apartment. Well, not actually pacing it. He just felt like pacing it, and instead sat still, controlling himself, trying to think of some way to get control of his own life. Being under someone else's protection was bad enough. He had never liked that, though it had happened before when Polk protected him on the streets of Rotterdam, and then when Sister Carlotta saved him from certain death by taking him in and sending him to battle school. But both those times there were things he could do to make sure everything went right. This was different. He knew something was going to go wrong, and there was nothing he could do about it. The soldiers guarding this apartment surrounding the building, they were all good, loyal men. Bean had no reason to doubt that. They weren't going to betray him. Probably. And the bureaucracy that was keeping his location a secret? No doubt it would just be an honest oversight, not a conscious betrayal that would give his address to his enemies. And in the meantime, Bean could only wait, pinned down by his protectors. They were the web holding him in place for the spider. And there wasn't a thing he could say to change the situation. If Greece were fighting a war, they'd set Bean and Nikolai to work, making plans, charting strategies, but when it came to a matter of security, they were just children to be protected and taken care of. It would do no good for Bean to explain that his best protection was to get out of here, get off completely on his own, make a life for himself on the streets of some city where he could be nameless and faceless and lost and safe. Because they looked at him and saw nothing but a little kid. And who listens to little kids? Little kids 
have to be taken care of. By adults who don't have it in their power to keep those little kids safe. He wanted to throw something through the window and jump down after it. Instead, he sat still. He read books. He signed onto the nets using one of his many names and cruised around, looking for whatever dribbles of information oozed through the military security systems of every nation, hoping for something to tell him where Petra and Fly Molo and Vlad and Dumper were being held. Some country that was showing signs of a little more cockiness because they thought they had the winning hand now or a country that was acting more cautious and methodical because finally somebody with a brain was running their strategy. But it was pointless because he knew he wasn't going to find it this way. The real information never got onto the net until it was too late to do anything about it. Somebody knew. The facts he needed to find his way to his friends were available in a dozen sites. He knew that. Knew it. Because that's the way it always was. The historians would find it and wonder for a thousand pages at a time, why didn't anybody notice? Why didn't anybody put it together? Because the people who had the information were too dim to know what they had, and the people who could have understood it were locked in an apartment in an abandoned resort that even tourists didn't want to come to anymore. The worst thing was that even mother and father were getting on his nerves. After a childhood with no parents, the best thing that had ever happened to him was when Sister Carlotta's research found his biological parents. The war ended, and when all the other kids got to go home to their families, Bean wasn't left over. He got to go home to his family, too. He had no childhood memories of them, of course, but Nikolai had, and Nikolai let Bean borrow them, as if they were his own. They were good people, his mother and his father. They never made him feel as if he were an intruder, a stranger, even a visitor. It was as if he had always belonged with them. They liked him. They loved him. It was a strange, exhilarating feeling to be with people who didn't want anything from you, except your happiness, who were glad just to have you around. But when you're already going crazy from confinement, it doesn't matter how much you like somebody, how much you love them, how grateful you are for their kindness to you. They will make you nuts. Everything they do grates on you like a bad song that won't get out of your head. You just want to scream at them to shut up. But you don't because you love them and you know that you're probably driving them crazy too. And as long as there's no hope of release, you've got to keep things calm. And then finally, there comes a knock on the door and you open it up and you realize that something different is finally going to happen. It was Colonel Graf and Sister Carlotta at the door. Graf in a suit now and Sister Carlotta in an extravagant auburn wig that made her look really stupid but also kind of pretty. The whole family recognized them at once, except that Nikolai had never met Sister Carlotta. But when Bean and his family got up to greet them, Graf held up a hand to stop them, and Carlotta put her finger to her lips. They came inside and closed the door after them and beckoned the family to gather in the bathroom. It was a tight fit, six of them in there. Father and mother ended up standing in the shower while Graf hung a tiny machine from the overhead light. Once it was in place and the red light began blinking, Graf spoke softly. I, he said, we came to get you out of this place. Why all the precautions in here? asked Father. Because part of the security system here is to listen in on everything said in this apartment. To protect us? They spy on us? asked Mother. Of course they do, said Father. Since anything we say here might leak into the system, said Graf, and would most certainly leak right back out of the system, 
I brought this little machine, which hears every sound we make and produces countersounds that nullify them, so we pretty much can't be heard. Pretty much? asked Bean. That's why we won't go into any details, said Graf. I'll tell you only this much. I'm the Minister of Colonization, and we have a ship that leaves in a few months. Just time enough to get you off Earth, up to the ISL, and over to Eros for the launch. But even as he said it, he was shaking his head, and Sister Carlotta was grinning and shaking her head, too, so that they would know that this was all a lie. A cover story. Bean and I have been in space before, Mother, said Nikolai, playing along. It's not so bad. It's what we fought the war for, Bean chimed in. The Formics wanted Earth because it was just like the worlds they already lived on. So now that they're gone, we get their worlds, which should be good for us. It's only fair, don't you think? Of course their parents both understood what was happening, but Bean knew Mother well enough by now that he wasn't surprised that she had to ask a completely useless and dangerous question just to be sure. But we're not really, she began. Then Father's hand gently covered her mouth. It's the only way to keep us safe, Father said. Once we're going at light speed, it'll seem like a couple of years to us while decades pass on Earth. By the time we reach the other planet, everybody who wants us dead will be dead themselves. Like Joseph and Mary taking Jesus into Egypt, said Mother. Exactly, said Father. Except they got to go back to Nazareth. If Earth destroys itself in some stupid war, said Father, it won't matter to us anymore, because we'll be part of a new world. Be happy about this, Elena. It means we can stay together. Then he kissed her. Time to go, Mr. and Mrs. Delfiki. Bring the boys, please. Graf reached up and yanked the damper from the ceiling light. The soldiers who waited for them in the hall wore the uniform of the IF. Not a Greek uniform was in sight, and these young men were armed to the teeth. As they walked briskly to the stairs, no elevators, no doors that might suddenly open to leave them trapped in a box for an enemy to toss in a grenade or a few thousand projectiles. Bean watched the way the soldier in the lead watched everything, checked every corner, the light under every door in the hall so that nothing could surprise him. Bean also saw how the man's body moved inside his clothes. With a kind of contained strength that made his clothes seem like Kleenex, he could rip through the fabric just by tugging at it a little because nothing could hold him in except his own self-control. It was like his sweat was pure testosterone. This was what a man was supposed to be. This was a soldier.